It's the New England Take. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Check out the NewEnglandTake.com, brand new website that I've put together. You're going to catch all the episodes there. And I'm looking for partners if you want to uh, get some some uh, opinion pieces, doing something interesting. More than happy to have you reach out to the New England Take at gmail.com. Speaking of online outlets, I'm very excited today to be joined by Nancy West. She's the executive director of the New Hampshire Center for Public Interest Journalism. Big part of that is she runs InDepthNH.org, a nonprofit watchdog news website published by the center. And it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which really stands out. And we'll dive into that and the reporting. And just in general, thank you so much for taking the time and your very busy day, Nancy. Oh, thank you for having me. I just love talking about indepthnh.org. It's a great outlet. It's I've had Damian Fisher on on the show before to talk about some of his reporting that's been over there and at New Hampshire Journal and a lot of the other reporters that you've had over there have have interacted with the show. It it's great. I mean, let's let's go go on the way back machine. What triggered you to want to start this this institute? Well, you know, um I hardly ever think about that. <laughs> Let me think. Uh, I was leaving the union leader about eight years ago and was looking for something else to do. I had been at the union leader for many years, probably 30 years, and I really wasn't ready to retire. So I got a job teaching down at um, Boston University, their summer school for high school kids that are considering becoming investigative journalists. And while I was commuting to Boston and working down there, I talked to a lot of people about what was at that time really kind of a new trend that was happening, newish trend around the country for online news websites that were also nonprofit and were 501c3s. And there were fewer, <clears throat> fewer of them then, but there was one very very amazing one. And that's the Vermont Digger. VT Digger had started out a couple of years earlier. And I met with Ann Galloway, the founder over at VT Digger, got very excited about what could be done with nonprofit news and just to see where the future was going. Because I could tell, I mean, it was no secret that legacy newspapers, for-profit news outlets, are having a very hard financial time and have for at least a decade, if not longer. You know, revenues are down, advertising are down, not for everyone, but for most of the day, a lot of the dailies. And we're also seeing a lot of closures. I know I did a little bit of research before I got started, and I learned that um, in 2000, between 2000 and now, for instance, we have 60% fewer news jobs in New Hampshire than we had in 2000. I mean, that just boggled my mind. And I could, you know, I saw it happening at the, not, and I don't mean to pick on the union leader because they're doing a fabulous job, I believe. I love that paper. Uh, but all of the newspapers, it, it's just very costly to run a newspaper now with the way the ad revenues and whatever are coming in. So most of the newspapers have really, really cut back on staff and don't have the the number of reporters we really need in New Hampshire. I mean, to be 
honest, we've that's one of my goals. That's one of the reasons I started in-depthnh.org is I want to bring more talented, um, experienced reporters back on the street. It, it, and so it's so important. And, and I mean, gen- like I've covered bias in the media a fair bit and, and the, the enormous corporate donors that go to the national outlets, especially cable TV. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies are like how cable TV exists nowadays because it's all their, their advertising dollars. I mean, with you being a 501c3, where do you get the money to to keep the lights on for your for for this organization? And um, how do you make sure there there's no impact of their dollars to what you cover? You know that's a really good question because that's going to be critical in the future. There's a lot of different models happening, and in the old days, I love talking about the old days. <laughs> there was a real firewall at the union leader, and I hope at every newspaper, between the advertising department and news and editorial. So I hope that continues. I see a little bit of, I have a little bit of concern about where the money's coming from for other people. We are probably the poorest nonprofit news outlet in the state because we're very, very strict about where we'll take our money from and where we'll apply for money from. There are certain things that I just have to guarantee that we have total independence from any sort of funder. So where we get most of our money is from our readers. We get a great deal. We just had a huge fundraiser called Newsmatch, and that's it for nonprofit news outlets that are members of Institute for Nonprofit News and a lot of national philanthropists put money behind this and they match dollars. So I I do a lot of um, public begging, which I <laughs> which I really hate doing, but it I don't even look at it as begging anymore. What I look at it now as giving everybody in the state of New Hampshire or anywhere they live an opportunity to help save news in New Hampshire at, by donating this money. It doesn't go into my pockets. Uh, Um, Well, little does for the work I do. But for instance, we have some very talented reporters. Many are um, expatriates from the union leader and well-trained there. Um, People like you mentioned, Damian Fisher. Um, We have Gary Reno, who is just a fabulous political reporter. And Paula Tracy, who can do just about anything. And a bunch of really terrific columnists. I was just rereading a column today that um, we published a couple of days ago by Michael Davidow. He's a defense attorney and author. He's written six books, but it's called Winter is Here. And it's just, it, it was delightful. I mean, I copy edited it. I had to read it at that day. And I just read it for joy today. That's the kind of talented people we have. I'd like to see us grow to the point where we can really start hiring or getting at least contract workers who are just coming into the field. We have so many experienced reporters that it's important to learn from. I know when I started working at the Union Leader, honestly, I had no idea how little I knew. Um, I, I probably would have been too scared to go to work if I knew how little I really knew. But the reporters there were just extremely generous. 
with their time, their expertise, and um, mentoring. And mentoring is just so important. And it's hard to happen now because um, there just aren't enough jobs even available for, for young people to get into the field. So it, we're going to hopefully turn that around. That'd be great. I, <laughs> I mean, that's we, where we, we got the money. Yes. Um, we always need more money because, like I said, we're the poorest. But um, we also apply for grants. Grants are not particularly successful these days because there's so much need and so much. Um, we always apply. My dad always used to say, you can't win if you don't play. But they're not a big part of our um our funding. We got very lucky about maybe two years ago. <clears throat> excuse me. We got a grant from um, Senator Martha Fuller Clark and her husband, Jeffrey Clark. And it was to do with whatever we wanted for $25,000. And I, I applied for, they asked us to apply. So I explained what I really wanted to do with that grant was to look into how do we sustain a future with the tin cup? I mean, it's not the best model. So for the last year and a half, we've been experimenting and working on and studying how to find sustainability without having to just raise a tin cup every 10 minutes, which it seems like I do all the time. Although I'm also very grateful because we have, we have people who give anything anywhere from $3 to um, $10,000. And most of the checks are what most people can afford, mm -hmm. which really excites me. That means people are reading and feel the value. We have to, you have to provide value to people and you have to be honest with people and un, as unbiased as you can and just work, work really crazy. Like I told you, we don't we have all contract workers now next year. So part of our sustainability program is to hire somebody who can really be in charge of the revenue. And, and what's really cool about how the, the, the structure organization, the way that you were, you're completely independent, it, it makes you, it seems like it makes you very entrepreneurial also, where you find partnerships and, and we actually happened to meet at part, as part of my full-time job with the New Hampshire Insurance Department at the New Hampshire Funeral Directors Association meeting, uh, because you're, you're expanding into offering obituaries outside of paywall where people can pay. And uh, I mean, that's, that's a great idea for a way to kind of keep the lights on in, in a, in a unique way that offers a service. Yes, you're right. Everything that we are trying to raise money with, we first ask, what is the public good here? You know, we're, we don't want to just have money coming in that is not going to do something else as well, something valuable. Now, I've had so many people tell me, and it's probably because I'm old, way older than you, um, that they've had a friend or someone that they know died and they did not know about it because it's there's no central news outlet without a paywall where you can get every single obituary in new hampshire and that's our goal and um that was a delightful meeting peter morin at the new hampshire funeral directors association and getting to meet you it's New Hampshire is such a funny place. It's all about networking and and handshakes and getting to know people. 
But I also um, ran into a funeral director that I had gotten to know when I was working at the union leader covering a very famous homicide. And he was a funeral director um, that was taking care of the family and the the remains of the two innkeepers who had been murdered, Charlie Sutton. And, you know, some of those, it's it's New Hampshire. So he's like a lifelong friend, you know? His son went to school with my son while we lived up in North Conway. And that's how, how it works. And that will grow, I think. Plus, some of the some of the obituaries are just really very, very hard for people to afford. Yeah. So we have the home of the affordable obituary. We charge $99 for the obituaries, and they can be as long as people want them to be. Because I had heard that people were leaving out the names of their grandchildren because they were being charged by the column inch. And I thought, you know what, this is just public service. And we're not trying to take away the business from the newspapers. My hope is that the local paper will run the obituary and ours will be an extra add-on because um, I've known people who die in a certain area, but I didn't get that local newspaper. So I didn't know. So I'm hoping people, and not just hoping, we, we think there's a real market and not just a market, but a real public service. And I, in getting to talk to a lot of the funeral directors, I, I think they were really starting to get it, what we're trying to do. Yeah, because it's it, the culture of it's changed a lot. I mean, with with newspapers struggling so hard, like they they've really locked it down. They got to be able to pay for the printing and everything that comes along with it, which is quite expensive. I mean, personally, my my grandmother passed away about almost a year ago, and it, it was a disaster to get it sorted with with the local newspaper from up in Maine, and to be able to just say, hey, it's posted on a website. Here's the link. It's immediately up. Like like. Uh, at, using your service i mean that that's a great idea just for public service oh it's going to be it's really going to be something very valuable we've put a lot of time into it and it's still going to take some some more getting to know one-on-one -on -one each and every funeral directors i yeah. i know a lot of them because when i started out at the union leader we didn't have fax machines in those days um, the funeral directors would either bring in the hard copy or dictate. So the first wow. couple of hours of my shift, I would take obituaries over the phone. And I have to tell you, that is wonderful training for reporters. You spell somebody's name wrong in an obituary, Ooh. you're going to hear about it. <laughs> so I'm very careful on names. It doesn't mean I don't make a mistake once in a while. But I was also always, always of the belief that when anybody dies in the state of New Hampshire, it's news. Yeah. You know, it's um, we value every person, probably because we're such a small state, but we view that as as news. So um, I see all sorts of benefits to doing this, and the not least of which will bring in some revenue to in-depthnh.org, which is each person who buys an obituary, it's sort of like also donating to the future of news in New Hampshire, not donating, but helping to keep it going. And I think when I first started this, I started in-depthnh.org seven years ago, 
And that's when people were starting to notice they were getting a lighter newspaper. They weren't getting as many stories. They were starting. And I'd have people say to me things like, oh, those lazy reporters, they're not covering anything anymore. And I said, oh, no, those lazy reporters are probably working twice as hard because when people leave, they they have to do their work as well. And one thing I have learned being a journalist in New Hampshire this long is we have fabulous, fabulous journalists. I'd like to just make sure everybody, you know, continues to work, but is also able to grow again, you know? And I think, actually, I was just um, talking with uh, Dave Solomon from the New Hampshire Press Association about serving on their sustainability committee. We're not the only person or news outlet looking for sustainability. It's probably every paper, every news outlet in the country wants to figure out a way how do we do this and be able to hire back all of the people we've lost or new people, but we've, we've got to grow again. And um, the Washington post, you know, sums it up on their letterhead. They say democracy dies in darkness, you know, and um, you know, maybe it sounds a little highfalutin to think I'm part of keeping democracy going, But I believe that, you know, I believe getting the truth out, um, letting people know what their government is doing and as much information as you can get to them as truthfully and unbiased as you can, it's important. Yeah, definitely. So we we have about two minutes left on this segment. So uh, can you briefly touch upon the the way you syndicate your articles or allow uh, print outlets to pick up your articles? Yes, actually, we've made some good revenue in that era as well. The um, Lawrence Eagle Tribune, Berlin Sun, the Conway Daily Sun, Manchester Inklink, um, the Nashua Telegraph. I think there's one or two more. All of those papers pay us so much a month to use our stories. And that's been really, really helpful to us in getting our name out there and getting our work out there but also getting income and it, we we charge very modest fees we charge like between 200 and 400 a month for, depending on the size of the newspapers and i think you'll see more of more coming on board for that i just haven't had time to even reach out lately <laughs> It's an amazing oh, and you know, like, that, especially at that rate. I mean, they, the reason why these digital outlets are exploding is because they can't afford, as you were talking about before, they can't afford to have all the reporters on their staff full time. Yeah. You know, when we first started for the first probably five years, we gave all of our news stories away for free and then um, decided we really had to charge a nominal fee to try to get some revenues in. If we if we do find that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, I would love to go back to the old days and give them away. Although now, um, if if a story's a day old or another news outlet wants to wants to use it, all they have to do is call. I always say yes. You know, we want we want them to shine and thrive and do all the best that we can do to help that. Continuing my conversation here with Nancy West. She's the executive director of the New Hampshire Center for Public Interest Journalism. The big thing you want to check out for them is indepthnh.org. Great online news outlet. Welcome back to uh, segment two, Nancy.
Thank you for having me, AJ. I'm learning a lot about your work that you're doing on the New England take, and it's it's exciting. I love every new voice that comes in and gets the information out to people. I appreciate it. It's, it's been a blast doing this show, and it's... It, it's great having conversations with people. I, if And one of my favorite things has been talking to people who run news outlets and reporters and such, because I feel like we need to to get journalism and information out to the public as much as possible. I feel like the, the digital out, the social media outlets have problems. Local media has been having problems with keeping the lights on. Which we've just talked about in the last segment. I'd love to have you dive into a little bit like in, in your mission that's on your website is, is a nonprofit watchdog news website. What, what I feel like watchdog is very specific and you talked about investigative journalism also in the beginning of the interview. Can you touch upon what you mean by that? Well, you know, investigative journalism, it's very time consuming. So there's not a lot of people doing investigative work in New Hampshire right now or anywhere. Not as much as we used to be able to do. We did a lot when I was on the staff of the Sunday News, for instance, and I hope they're still doing a lot of that. And part of um, the joy in that is to just be able to dig a little bit deeper, to learn how to do a right-to-know request, to to kind of force the government to you know hold their feet to the fire, to provide the information to the public that the public needs to know. And we have a, a right to know law that people, um, you don't have to be a reporter to use it. If you wanna get information from your local school board, um, the right to know law covers documents. You can file a right to know. There's a group called Right to Know New Hampshire. They have a website and they have examples of how everyone can get a request to their local government and you know, it's it's. I don't think all of our government officials are out there being corrupt. I just don't believe that. But it's important that we watch what they're doing and report well on it. And sometimes it's very surprising. One thing we've done um, since that I started at the union leader was really watching what we call the Lori list. That's mm police officers who have sustained discipline in their personnel files that shine a negative light on their ability to testify truthfully. And it's not just my reporting, but the reporting that all of the other papers have done, plus our reporting, has really pushed that envelope so that now some names are being released, some of the names, names of the police officers who had dishonesty in their police personnel files. Some of those names are coming out. Some are coming out way too slow for me. New New Hampshire Center for Public Interest Journalism is the only news outlet that continues to fight for every single name on that list. And we are in court. We have a terrific attorney. And Andy Valinsky is fighting for that. The other news outlets decided not to, they decided to accept a, an agreement with lawmakers who crafted legislation that would allow not all of the names to be released. Why do I think it's important for all the names to be released? Because in, in the United States, 
if a police officer testifies against you and has a history of dishonesty in his secret personnel file, you have a right to to apply for a new trial. It doesn't mean you'll get one. It has to be something very important to the conviction. And that is just, to me, I always say, how can we say we have the fairest trials in the whole world if we don't get this right Mm -hmm. and we haven't gotten it right yet? The Lord, there's still too many names that aren't published. Um, The people who are being impacted, and that's people who are perhaps even still locked up in prison, aren't getting the information. No one's representing them unless they have the good luck of finding a lawyer. To, you know, to re- they also don't have any money, so they have to find a lawyer who will represent them for free. And we're we're going to stay with that fight and get every single name on that list. You know what? I started writing about Lori issues 12 years ago. Investigative journalism takes time. <laughs> it does. It, it's very time this is consuming. A dozen years. You get all the data. I mean, I've spoken to to a couple different outlets and nonprofits that try and collect data, like the uh, New Hampshire Fiscal Policy Institute, for example. And it, it, it's very time consuming. You need specialists that can dive into the information, and actually tell you if the information is all there, because if you could be dealing with a bad data set and things like that. Yeah, I know. Um, we covered a hearing the other day that had probably seven or eight bills related to the right to know law, you know, and so that's always an ongoing issue. That organization, um, New Hampshire Fiscal Policy Institute, does a great job, that, you know, pulling that, it's like pulling teeth, pulling that data together. And we have a lot of great reporters in this state. And I always tell people say, what's the difference between a reporter and an investigative reporter? And I always tell them every reporter should be an investigative reporter. You never know when you're just doing a story that you think is, you know, kind of humdrum and nothing exciting. It's it's talking to people, listening. What what do you hear? Um, I had one time a fellow sent me a document and it was from the Supreme Court. And at the top of all Supreme Court documents, there's a, a, a number and they usually start off with letters. So, but this one started off with SMC and then a number. And I had never seen that before. So I was just curious. And um, I called the clerk of the Supreme Court and he said, Oh, that's special matters confidential. <laughs> what? Anyway, <laughs> they don't have any special matters confidential anymore after the union, you know, my reporting in the union leader. And they had to release that quite a few. Doc, numbers of um, cases that they had secretly put away and not not trying to be, I don't even think they were trying to be dishonest. They felt that these were sensitive and they had already always done it. But when the, um, after I can't remember if we had to go to court for that or if they just released it, uh, but we were able to get those cases and we shouldn't have the court system in New Hampshire, I've always been very proud to say, has is very transparent yeah. generally. You know, I have, you know, say I, I would like everything to be public. You know, any document that the government writes, I should get. But there are there are some things that you have to I have to settle for, you know, for instance, um, you know, certain cases that involve children, mm. you know, or um 
child abuse and neglect for families. Actually, I think in the long run, we we would do better to release some of that information because I don't believe the average person understands, because I certainly didn't until I started reporting, how serious child abuse is because we don't hear about it until somebody is dead or so badly injured they're in the hospital. And we've had several of those cases. One very, one tragic one, heartbreaking case this week where a young boy, seven years old is is dead. And there's a lot of other cases that happen that maybe don't go to that extreme, but I don't think confidentiality always serves the victims. I think it serves the whoever is investigating it, it serves the government to not have to showcase what they're doing wrong. Anyway, the other thing is, it's just fun. <laughs> that, that's a, that's a constant a theme. I can't it, reporters stop. love their jobs. And, and that's that's an amazing thing. It's the reason why I encourage people as, like, as, as grim as sometimes the, the landscape of journalism may appear in this country. I think it's vital. I think it's a it's a there's various aspects. Like I, I say from the get go of my show, I am not a journalist, but I but I'll get information out there. And um, it, it but it, it's a blast being in the media and being a journalist and highly suggest anyone gets into that field. Unfortunately, we are out of time for for this episode i will definitely have you back on because i got the feeling there's hours and hours of conversations we can have around all these matters and speaking with nancy west she's the executive director of the new hampshire center for public interest journalism in-depth nh.org definitely support them go on twitter nancy west news you can follow her there thank you so much for joining me this has been a great conversation oh aj this is a blast please have me back soon Will do. You're listening to the New England Take, the New England Take.com to get more from me. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead.